you for listening to the only podcast dedicated to the business of pharmacy. Welcome to the Pharmacy Podcast Show. You can find all of our episodes at pharmacypodcast.com. This is Dan Leonard, president of the National Pharmaceutical Council, and you're listening to the Pharmacy Podcast. Good afternoon, Pharmacy Podcast listeners. This is Ron Lanson, owner of True North Political Solutions and the co-host of the Pharmacy Podcast Show. And this afternoon, we have a very special guest for you today, Mr. Dan Leonard. He is of the National Pharmaceutical Council. How are you, Dan? Good, Ron. Thanks so much for having me. No problem. Thanks for coming on the show. This is a little bit different than uh, what we've normally done, so uh, I think this is going to be a fun conversation. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, to start off, could you tell our listeners a little bit about your background? And also, I know we've had some conversations offline about New Hampshire. I'm currently living here, and I noticed that you're from New Hampshire, so I'm going to have to ask that you please elaborate on New Hampshire as well. Sure. Uh, Happy. That's one of my favorite subjects. Uh, uh, I I currently live in the Washington, D.C. area, but spent half my life uh, in New Hampshire, near where you are, Ron, and... uh, uh, my lovely home state. Uh, I don't know how many of your uh, listeners are up there, but for the for the folks who are from uh, northern New England, it's uh, yeah, it's obviously a place near and dear to my heart. Yeah, I, I um, grew up in Manchester. Was born in Manchester, lived in Bedford for uh, as a young fella, and then moved to a small town a little north of there called Henniker, uh, which is the claim to fame. Our uh, New England College is there, and. Uh, Pat's Peak Ski Area, where I, I worked uh, as a teenager, and uh, but a very small town, and um, but it was a great place to to grow up. And then uh, after that, moved on, uh, went to college in Ohio, but then came back to New Hampshire. And during the late '80s, I'm now uh, dating myself a little bit here, but in the late '80s, 1986 through '89-ish, I was a uh, uh, a reporter in New Hampshire, first in radio in Lebanon, Hanover area, but then uh, on WMUR TV in Manchester, where I was the political reporter during the 1988 presidential primary. So that was really the kind of the capstone of my broadcasting career there in uh, New Hampshire. But uh, it was a very exciting time uh, for me professionally and in politics, uh, which I know is uh, something that you uh, know a little bit about too, Ron. So uh, uh, it, was a, it was a great time of my life and led to a lot of other interesting things uh, that, that I was able to go off and do after that. Um, the question that I have for you, though, is you're president of the National Pharmaceutical Council. You've had this uh, long, distinguished career in broadcasting. How did that switch from broadcasting, I guess, to healthcare for you now? Well, it was, uh, I don't know how long and distinguished it was, or distinguished certainly, but it was, it was actually a it felt long when you're young, you know, things seem to speed up, uh, but it was a real, relatively brief period of time, about five years that I was in broadcasting. But um, as I mentioned earlier, it was a very exciting time because I was covering uh, presidential politics and uh, New Hampshire is very unique in that we have this up close and personal uh, opportunity to talk to all the national candidates who want to be the president when they come through the state. You know, I remember as a young kid having Ronald Reagan in my lunchroom in uh middle school, uh, you know, and, and uh, as a reporter, uh, I really solidly covered the 1988 primary really for a year leading up to uh, that vote 
which was February of 1988. But the whole year leading up, there were there wasn't a day that there wasn't a candidate coming through the state, and we were tracking them, as you can imagine. Uh, that was an open seat election, meaning there was no incumbent, uh, and so we had about seven candidates on both the Republican side and the Democratic side. So it was very exciting. Um, after that, I have to admit, I caught the political bug. I was a reporter, but I, I caught the political bug during that uh, 1988 uh, primary. And then um, after the primary was over and uh, say it was the summer of that year, I uh, switched sides and got on to the political side of things and, and moved to Washington to work on Capitol Hill. I uh, had the opportunity to, to work uh, on Capitol Hill for a member of Congress from New Hampshire. And from that particular job, went out to work for the Republican National Committee and worked in politics and then back on the Hill and I became a chief of staff for a member of Congress from New York. And uh, so I did some period of time on the Hill in, like I said, in governmental positions uh, as a Hill uh, staffer and in some political positions with the National Committee and uh, then moved on downtown, as they say, off the hill down to a, a corporate public relations job in uh, the mid-90s and worked at a couple of different public relations firms. And that's where I got into corporate communications. I was, uh, as you can imagine, coming from broadcast, more of a uh, press guy, as I say down here, but worked on corporate communications for a couple of firms. And some of my clients were healthcare association. So my first exposure really into what I've now made a career out of working in associations and healthcare started uh, when I was working in corporate communications. And then in the early 2000s, uh, went on, signed on to be the uh, head of public affairs and communications for a group called AHIP, which is America's Health Insurance Plans. This is the big uh, health insurance uh, trade association and worked there for about seven years. And then in 2008, came here to the National Pharmaceutical Council and now representing uh, the pharmaceutical industry. And that was a, uh, you know, an interesting uh, jump, but it, that my experience with the health plans was integral to getting this position because those, the health plans are the primary customers for all of my current clients, the pharmaceutical companies. So it was uh, experience with the, uh, the payer side of the equation uh, was critical to me getting this position with the uh, pharmaceutical industry. So it's been a nice cross-section of, of exposure to uh, various uh, sides of the healthcare uh, in the various health, in the healthcare marketplace. Sounds very interesting. Um, well, the question that I have regarding NPC, I guess, we can switch gears a little bit into that. If you can tell our listeners about what NPC is and what are some of your major goals for the year? Yes. Well, the National Pharmaceutical Council, uh, if, you, if your listeners haven't heard of us, we've, we've actually been around for about 60 years. We just had our 60th anniversary last year. Um, and we, from our inception to today, have been dedicated to health policy and uh, health policy research around critical issues, issues that are important to our industry, the pharmaceutical industry, but the larger healthcare sector uh, on the whole. And so um, we combine the, uh, the, the talents and the resources of our member companies to look deeper into a number of these policy issues that are uh, 
uh, on the agenda of our nation at any given time. So our agenda, uh, while we've been dedicated to these core issues of uh, conducting good, solid, credible uh, research around health policy questions, the, the issues that we're investigating change fairly regularly. So we've been engaged over the last couple of years on a, on a, on a few key areas. Um, we're not a big organization. We're 15 folks here in Washington. Um, but so we try to zero in on a few critical issues at a time and not trying to cover the waterfront. What we're focused on now are really three core areas that we think are uh, of critical importance for policymakers, regulators, and uh, anyone involved in the healthcare uh, sector to really understand and, and appreciate. The first one is really around the patient and the individual needs of a patient. So every patient, as you know, Ron, is different. Their needs are, are different. Uh, they may react differently to different treatments and therapies. And so we're trying to understand that better and communicate it effectively to the health policy community. The reason is if we imagine a, uh, a, uh, you know, a, a, a time where all of the patients are treated essentially the same. So uh, the, the, you might say, or a study might say that in general, all patients react somewhat uh, uh, similarly to a particular therapy. And so if on average, they all react, uh, on average, they react uh, favorably toward drug A, let's give everybody drug A, but there may be uh, a large cohort of the population who react better to drug B, for example. And so we need to understand how individual patients differ, how their needs are different, and that those are, uh, differences are understood and respected when it comes to, say, making formulary decisions, or if you're CMS and you're uh, writing new uh, regulations, they need to understand how every patient is different. And this, is, uh, this was actually uh, really exemplified recently when CMS proposed a change in their uh, protected classes of drugs, which would have disadvantaged a number of uh, drugs, particularly in the mental health space. So we, we wrote some commentary to the CMS and helped them understand this, as did many others. And uh, CMS backed off of their, their proposed change. So that's uh, area one, is around the individual needs of the patient. The second area, Ron, is what we call the value of pharmaceuticals in the new payment environment. So the whole world uh, of healthcare has changed since the, uh, uh, since the Affordable Care Act came online in lots of different ways. Um, we're looking very specifically at how drugs are factored into uh, the new payment environment. So for example, lots of uh, affordable, uh, accountable care organizations are part of the new law. And how, do, uh, how are drugs understood and, and, and embedded into accountable care organizations? or bundled payment uh, schemes that, that uh, CMS uh, might be considering. So a lot of ways to really, the way, that, the way we're funding healthcare is changing in this country from a fee-for-service model to uh, more innovative models. But we wanna make sure that how drugs and therapies and devices are considered in these new models are uh, uh, efficient and effective. The third issue that we're working on is around what we call real-world evidence, and this is all about how research is conducted uh, in this country. For many years, the 
gold standard for research around new drugs and devices and therapies has been called is in the uh, randomized controlled trial, which is um, uh, how FDA examines new products when they're being proposed and brought to market. But there are a lot of different types of uh, research we're calling real world evidence. So these are observational studies or studies of dead databases, um, registries, different mechanisms for conducting research in the real world. And, and so we're trying to understand uh, the, what makes for good real world studies and what are some of the pitfalls that might go into uh, less credible real world studies. So we've been working with some organizations around the development of standards for uh, these types of studies, trying to understand how um, users of research, so uh, payers, for example, when they're uh, looking at research, what should they be looking for to make sure that the research they're looking at is credible and uh, conducted in a rigorous fashion, et cetera. So all of these three areas, Ron, we have a number of research projects going on at any given time to examine these three areas and, and try to um, bring more light to the issues that I've just mentioned. Very interesting. Hopefully our guests have, uh, actually our listeners have a, a better understanding of, of the organization. That was uh, very informative. Thank you very much. Well, let me just say right there, if they uh, are interested or have, have piqued their interest, uh, they want more information, um, we obviously have a website and all of this information is on the website, including the results of uh, any of our recent research in these areas, and it's all available at uh, npcnow.org. That's our website, npcnow.org. Well, Dan, there's been uh, some conversations started on the podcast. Uh, you might not have heard all of them, but uh, through a, a few recent guests regarding the involvement of patient advocacy groups within pharmacy. Do you think that there are any opportunities for patient av advocacy groups and pharmacy groups to work on issues together from your perspective? Well, I would say yes, uh, absolutely there is. Um, you know, patient groups make great uh, partners it's uh, for the all the obvious reasons and that the you know the patient is at the center of everything that we're doing in healthcare uh and uh, uh pharmacists pharmacy organizations uh or our our organization or the industry can talk about the benefits of uh one therapy over another but it's really at the end of the day it comes down to how that works in the individual patient and how the individual patient may react and and so having their voice as part of the conversation is critical. Um, so anytime that a pharmacy uh, entity can team up or collaborate with patient organizations, I think it's a, it's a positive and um, makes their message that much more relevant and stronger. I'll give you one example of where we partnered up with uh, a patient-centric uh, organization uh, and, and actually made a positive change here in Washington. Uh, there's a group down here called the National Health Council. The National Health Council is really a, the, an, the association of patient groups. So they represent a number of the uh, not-for-profit volunteer patient organizations. They're all members of the National Health Council. And where, they, where all of the patient groups have common interest, uh, the National Health Council really carries that banner on Capitol Hill and with the regulators uh, very often here in town. Um, they had an initiative that we worked with them on around 
what we were what they coined the uh, usability criteria, and this was around how um, comparative effectiveness research conducted by uh, governmental entities like PCORI, which is the Patient-Centered Outcomes Research Institute, which is a relatively new entity, um, how they should make the research that they're funding uh, relevant to the patient. And so we uh, worked with the Health Council to develop these criteria, which were a checklist of components that, that uh, should be put into any research study to make sure that it's relevant to the, to the end user, the patient. So they basically about asking the questions before you go in the field with a new study, asking the questions about uh, what a patient's looking for, what are the side effects they're, uh, they're concerned about. So really look, talking to the patient first before you build a study that's going to go into the field. Uh, so we worked with them. We had a conference last year on the topic. Um, we introduced it to the folks at PCORI, the Patient-Centered uh, Outcomes Research Institute, uh, and they have, uh, in course, adopted what they're calling um, you know, a, a, a version of this usability criteria that they're now, they're now employ with all of their studies uh, before they go out uh, to um, the marketplace. So that's a success story that we had in working with the One Patient Advocacy Organization, the National Health Council. So the short answer to your question is, I think, Ron, it's a it's a good strategy. It's one that uh, that pharmacy groups should consider when they're um, looking at their public agenda. Um, let's get on to ACOs. Now, I noticed that uh, you had written an article, which was in the Chain Drug Review, uh, regarding ACOs. And this is kind of a two-part question. Uh, the first part is, can you tell our listeners about the article? as well as give them some background on what an ACO is for those that may or may not know. And secondly, do you see any opportunities for pharmacies and maybe pharmacy IT providers to work with ACOs? Well, first of all, short and brief, the uh, uh, accountable care organizations were established really in the, under the uh, Affordable Care Act. Uh, and as a as I said earlier, it's kind of a mechanism to get away from a fee-for-service platform into a, uh, a practice of medicine where quality is at a premium and uh, reimbursement is office, uh, often pegged to quality of the care that is delivered. Um, CMS has a number of uh, pilots that they have kicked off and uh, it's uh, really been growing with, with great uh, speed in this country. There are now more than 360 Accountable care organizations that have been established uh, in the CMS in the Medicare uh, population, um, serving over five million beneficiaries, and those are, you know, those numbers are growing by the day. So it's there's a lot of energy around ACOs and and where they're going. Um, there are, like any new enterprise, there are some ACOs which are a little more uh, advanced uh, down the road, and there are others that are more in the startup phase, but uh, we've been following this uh, evolution of the ACO, particularly as it pertains to uh, medications and how drugs are built into the ACO models. Uh, so that's what uh, we wrote about a recent survey that we conducted um, where we uh, talked to 46 ACOs around the country, some large, some small, and we basically took a readiness survey of, of, uh, of ACOs to see how they were faring on some 
medication management areas. And, you know, it may not surprise your listeners, but uh, there were some things that they did are doing well, and there are some things that they're not doing. They're doing, uh, you know, there's definitely room for improvement. Let's put it that way. So, for example, um, most of the ACOs we talked to, about over 70%, are, are well prepared and are currently uh, able to transmit their prescription data electronically uh, between the, the, the physician's office and the pharmacy. Um, so that's, you know, that's pretty good. They're fairly evolved when it comes to uh, electronic prescribing. But fewer than half of the ACOs reported the ability to identify potential drug interactions. So that's a key area where you need uh, information to avoid potential drug-drug interaction or, or adverse events. But less than 50% have that built into their uh, technology and their infrastructure. Uh, some of the other areas in which we surveyed these uh, ACOs uh, where the results were even, let's say, more lacking. For example, only about 9% of the ACO surveyed said they can notify doctors when a prescription has been picked up at the pharmacy. So again, a, a, there's a drop-off in the ability to communicate electronically between the physician and the pharmacy. About 17% of the ACOs we surveyed have complete protocols in place to avoid uh, duplicate medications. Uh, so you know, there are a number of other questions that we asked, and uh, uh, if you're interested in the full survey, I would just refer you to our website again that I mentioned earlier, npc.org, and you can get the full uh, survey. But Ron, I'd say that you know the uh, punchline to this whole thing is that you know the ACOs are, are it's a very exciting um, new uh, mechanism for uh, delivering healthcare in this country. <clears throat> they need for them to succeed, though they need to be more uh, engaged with the pharmacy. They need to be connected at a more sophisticated level than they are currently. Um, so, but I would say to the second part of your question, where those survey results that I just walked through may seem, uh, you know, like a glass half empty story to most. I think folks within the IT community might see this as a glass half full story, because what it says to me, what I wrote about in this column, is that it's an opportunity for pharmacy organizations and IT uh, companies to work together, and we have basically, here's a blueprint for the areas that need improvement. So to the extent that uh, IT solution providers can work with pharmacies to, to uh, fix some of these areas where there's a shortfall right now, I think we'll all be better off for it. Um, you know, there are some core technological issues that need to be addressed uh, in, in the, in the uh, backbone of how pharmacies uh, communicate with their provider groups. But uh, I think it does point out opportunities for pharmacies and IT providers to work together in this ACL environment. Well, I really enjoyed your article um, because I really, it was eye-opening for me about the improvements that can be made to the system where it it, it regards the ACOs, so that was really, really good information. And uh, I guess because it is new, there's always room for improvement. So it's really getting the right people together to talk and and uh, you know create a better outcome for everyone involved. Well, I think that's that's the bottom line that I wanted to get to is that ACOs are still new and they're still being built. And physicians and pharmacists aren't uh, typically aren't technology uh, wizards. You know, they need some 
collaboration, they need some partnerships to get where they want to go. So at first blush, when you look at these numbers, which look relatively low as far as what they're currently doing, and we're only two or three years into this, so um, it will improve. We plan to do this survey on an annual basis. So my, uh, my hope and my uh, expectation is that those numbers will rise and continue to rise. So, you know, it, it's, a, it's an opportunity story. I see it, you know, uh, versus the, a, a negative story. So I hope that uh, some really positive collaborations occur in this space. And next time we do this survey, these numbers will be significantly higher. Well, talk to me about the CER collaborative you guys have been working on. Yeah, so that's one other uh, one other uh, issue or a project that we've been working on that I think might be of interest to your to your listeners. Um, the CER collaborative is uh, something that we put together four years ago, and it's really just coming into into uh, full bloom now. But uh, this is a collaborative with a couple of organizations that we've partnered with, the Academy of Managed Care Pharmacy, which many of your listeners may be familiar with, and ISPOR, which is the International Society of Pharmacoeconomic Researchers. So it's the Professional uh, Association for Managed Care Pharmacy, but then the uh, Professional Society for um, Health uh, Policy Researchers and health, uh, health Outcomes Researchers, and us here at NPC. And what we've built, and there are online tools now that are very exciting. We've built some uh, uh, tools within the collaborative to help, primarily to help payers uh, understand and uh, evaluate research, comparative effectiveness research, when it comes across their desk. If it's evaluating a new therapy or comparing therapies against each other or a new device, a new drug, uh, or an existing drug or device. So. Uh, I've mentioned comparative effectiveness research a fair amount in this, uh, this talk today, but uh, PCORI, which is the organization I mentioned earlier, has a budget of about half a billion dollars a year to go into comparative effectiveness research, comparing treatments, see what works best. So play that out, Ron. If, uh, if PCORI is putting in a half a billion dollars a year, individual insurance companies and payers are doing their own research, you have a lot of new comparative research out there in the marketplace. The consumers of that research were often the payers, the folks who were uh, making formulary-based decisions for their health plans, um, may not be completely equipped or have the tools they need to make uh, adequate decisions about the research that they're seeing. So within the collaborative, we've put these tools together to help, uh, help the folks evaluate research uh, they can now evaluate two or more studies on, this, on a single drug. So if you have uh, different uh, three or four, say, studies on a single drug, you're able to uh, evaluate them together to get a single answer. Um, the tools will help assess the study to determine whether the, uh, the practices that went into the study were, uh, were credible. Uh, if they looked at the, if the sample size was uh, sufficient. So there are a lot of things that go into evaluating whether it's a good study or not. So these tools are now available. We have a number of payers who are, are using them. Uh, we have a number of payers that are evaluating them for use when they're making formulary-based decisions. Um, the uh, uh, AMCP, which I mentioned, the Academy of Managed Care Pharmacy, has 
has built the tool into their um, P&T competition. So a lot of students at uh, pharmacy schools around the country are now using these tools when they're doing evaluations. Uh, so that's very exciting uh, as well. Uh, there is a dedicated website that the Co Collaborative has put together, which is cercollaborative.com. And your listeners can go there and uh, learn more about this topic as well. But we're very excited about it, and it's, uh, it's got a lot of good traction going right now. That sounds good. Well, hopefully our listeners have uh, learned a lot more about your organization, the National Pharmaceutical Council. So, Dan, a great interview today. Um, hoping that we can bring you back on the show and, uh, you know, we can talk some more about how we can possibly work together. Maybe our listeners can use your information to uh, work towards improving better outcomes for healthcare. Sure, and I would encourage uh, any of your listeners after they poke around on uh, the website that I've mentioned, uh, if they're interested in any additional details, they can reach out to, to me. And uh, my email is dleonard at npcnow.org. I appreciate, Ron, the opportunity. No problem. Well, let me go ahead and close the show out. Again, I'm Ron Lanton, owner of True North Political Solutions and co-host of the Pharmacy Podcast Show. If anyone is interested in uh, asking additional information offline, my email is ronlanton3 at truenorthpf, as in politicalsolutions.com, or you can give us a follow on LinkedIn uh, just by finding True North Political Solutions. Dan, again, it was a pleasure. Thanks so much for your information. Thank you.